0: Hi, my name is Jonathan Zanger. I'm the president of Walker Zanger. I had a great time doing this podcast. It was an interesting process, made me think of some things that I hadn't thought of in a while, and I certainly recommend it.
1: Mr. John Zanger, I appreciate you so much for being on the podcast. Our pleasure. Yeah, so I was told this is your first ever appearance on a podcast, huh? It is my first ever. Eric has done a couple. Uh-huh. So I want to get started with the, this is a family-owned business. So mm-hmm. it's very intriguing to me to see a business get so large, like turn into a dynasty when it started from just uh, a family home. So tell me a little bit about the, the startup phase of the company and, you know, the ups and downs that you experienced as a kid. How you saw how how you saw it all take off?
0: Well, it started before I was born. Okay. So
1: uh, back in in
0: 1952, in another era, um, my father and mother were immigrants, um, war refugees, came to the United States when they were uh, both um, came separately to the United States when they were both uh, older teenagers. Um, And my father uh, was um, was born in Belgium and during the war was a refugee and went from Belgium to France and France to Spain and Spain to Portugal and Portugal to Mozambique and Mozambique to the United States Um, all along the way picking up languages. So by the time he got here, he probably spoke about seven, seven languages um, and picked up some moral later on when he joined, you know. uh, was uh, drafted into the army and served in Germany. Picked up German later on uh, in the aftermath of the war. Um, so when he got out of uh, of the service and and wanted to start in business, um, he because uh, he had all these languages went into the import and export business. Um, and because he had uh, spent part of his youth in Portugal, um, was interested in importing. Stone, stone marble from portugal because he when he was the story goes that when he lived in money when, when they first came to portugal he thought that the com- country was very wealthy mm-hmm. because in belgium you know only the king had marble and mm-hmm. and uh and stone and in portugal the streets were paved with it and said to his mother boy these people must be really rich and she said what <laughs> makes you say that he goes because their streets are paved with, with stone. stone and she said no 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 you know they're they're not rich they're poor actually he said but you know stone is cheaper you know huh. it's, it's, easy to come by so that stuck with him and when he got out of the service and went to work for another company he's he he wanted to develop that uh, business um, doing business with Portugal spoke the language Um, and he did so but uh, the owners of the company at the time um, were not interested in further financing the business and and growing the business the company that he worked for. for the company that he worked for okay so he decided that he would go off on his own and start a business. And uh, the Walker and Walker Zanger was his partner uh, who worked in the same office and heard that he was going out on his own. And said, I'd Let's like do to do it together. I'd like to join you. And uh, the two of them um, each put up a thousand dollars and uh, decided that they wouldn't work. I uh, wouldn't take any money out of the business for a year. Wouldn't take salaries anything both their wives at the time were working they didn't have families yet um, so the wives supported them and uh, they the rest is the rest is history, history. They put together a thousand bucks each uh, which is all the money they had basically yeah, I mean back then it's a lot of money back then it was, a, yeah, it, was a know, good amount, it was a good amount of money and they, yeah. they were able to do it and and, the, and and my father had a very good connection with the largest stone company at the time in Portugal. And in those days, you wired things or you telexed, and he wired the guy, the owner of the company or the manager of the company, and he said, "I'm going into business on my own. Um, you know, I need your, you know, I, I need your assistance. I, you know, can you can you help me out?" And the guy said, "What do you need?" And he said, "I need credit." And the mm-hmm. guy the guy wired back, and he said, "You have unlimited credit. Go sell."
1: Wow. That was a massive connection right there. It was
0: good timing. Yeah. Um,
1: And uh, little by little they grew the company. So you growing up in this family, was this like, was the company something like, did you see your father a lot or was he always working?
0: Yeah, he worked. I mean, he worked long hours and my parents traveled quite a bit too. And so they would go on these, you know, because he was sourcing all around the world by the time uh, me and my sister were, uh, were Kids and growing up, they would take these extended trips, sometimes four and five weeks at a time, um, usually twice a year, uh, maybe one to Europe, one to the Far East, or one to South America, um, and our grandparents would stay with us. Um, so, you know, they they traveled quite a bit. We went with them on some trips uh, uh, when we were kids. Um, so, my first time to Europe was when I was five years old, and it was sort of father was on business, and we were. We were tagging along with my mom, um, so it was it was a family business. There's mm-hmm. no question about it. And he worked very long hours, sure. um, but you know we we uh, we didn't we didn't completely miss him. He, he was he was usually home for dinner. That's good. So, uh, <laughs> it, we just ate <laughs> <stayed> late. <Yeah. laughs>
1: so how 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 is it growing up in a family that's so devoted to their to to what they're building? I mean.
0: Well, it was. It was for me. It was good. I, I, I think um, you, my mother, you know, they both loved the business. Mm-hmm. Um, they loved the travel aspects of it. It was successful, which of course was a big thing for for them. Um, they both grew up in deprived circumstances. Obviously, during the war, um, it was a you know a very different time. They were both refugees. Um, both of their families were. Murdered, you know, in, in many cases, not their uh-huh. immediate families, they survived. Uh, both their parents survived, but many of their relatives were, sure. were killed. Um, so, you know, anything was better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously, and they were successful. Um, and they, uh, you know, they, but they, and they grew up, you know, uh, with a, uh, with a, a very much of a, a uh, culture of hard work. Um, and, Pass that on to us mm-hmm. and and you know uh, uh, so although I you know so we we were aware of the business as as uh, kids and um, and although we you know uh, um, you know it wasn't it wasn't kind of like a mom-and-pop store where we we're working behind the counter although I did work some summers mm-hmm. and you know at, at the company offices Um but yeah, we were very much aware of the business, and my parents were, you know, both both dedicated to the company and and really made um, very very important uh, connections and friendships with both clients and suppliers. So those people, um, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, knowing a lot of those people, and and those people were not only. Clients or suppliers, they were social, like family friends, like family friends, yeah, yeah. So it became, a, you know, an interesting part of the family.
1: That's cool. So growing up, did you ever notice any certain hardships that you saw within your family, and if so, how did that affect you?
0: Sure. I mean, there were there were times, certainly, you know, when my the the, the business partners broke up and 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 went their separate ways. That was a time of, you know, of I know a lot of stress from my. Uh, For my father, and uh, you know, before I joined the business, there were certainly downturns, uh, you know, in cycles, in business cycles. There were times that the business wasn't doing well, and times when it, you know, was doing very well. So um, we we noticed them, but but um, but I don't think that was you know, um, it was it was generally. I grew up in the um, in the '60s and and, uh, '70s when you know, for the most part, um, with, with some exceptions, uh, um, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of growth in in, in this business and and where we were obviously in '73 with the mm-hmm. oil crisis and all that. There were there were tough times, but the business was you know was generally growing during those those
1: times. So, what are the biggest lessons that you kind of took from your family and apply it today in your business?
0: Um, certainly, your hard the value of hard work. Um, there there were a couple you know the value of hard work uh, was was a big lesson Um, and you know my father you know had very high standards of um, ethics and um, honesty and treating people the way you would want to be treated Hmm. and we try to run the company Based on those standards today, as well, sure. Um, you know, creating value, um, doing you know, servicing our clients, um, being fair to our vendors, suppliers, supporting uh, other people who want to grow businesses. Um, we've we've uh, been fortunate to you know to work with a lot of startup companies and small companies, craft craftspeople um, and develop them so that they have you now big companies and they've been, become very successful. And whether or not they, you know.
1: Oh, so you guys collaborate with we collaborate. smaller companies to help them grow. Absolutely,
0: smaller companies and sometimes individuals. Even in, mean,
1: if it's not in your industry?
0: No, well, generally in our industry, okay. obviously. But yeah, I mean, even if it's something related. But generally in our industry, there's a lot of craftspeople and artisans in our industry and we try, you know, if we find somebody who's got a, you know, got a good idea or to a good talent. Um, or an interesting, you know, uh, perspective. We try and figure out a way to sort of weave them into the fabric of the company.
1: That is so intriguing. So you guys mm-hmm. kind of like, I mean, I wouldn't even call them competitors in a sense, but kind of help other.
0: And sometimes yeah. competitors too. I mean, I'm happy to, you know, to to at this point in my career, especially to to uh, help other people. I've been very active with the trade association. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the president of the of what's the, now the Natural Stone Institute. Uh, which is the biggest trade organization in the country for the stone industry. And a lot of that is about mentoring other uh, other people. In you the know, industry. I
1: love that because there's so much abundance in this world. I mean, I feel like a lot of people need to learn from that. Sure. You know, like there's there, there's so much success to be created for people that it, it, they, I mean, the, the way I look at it is the more you help, the more you will gain from it.
0: Yeah. And this business is thousands of years old. So yeah. it's got a, uh, you know, there's a history here. And a, you know, a tradition of of mentoring and of, of developing the industry that goes back, you know, a long, long way, mm-hmm. starting at the pyramids and maybe.
1: Sure. A yeah. long time ago. So growing up, did you ever uh, see yourself doing anything else? I did.
0: I mean, I didn't I didn't I always knew that this was here. Yeah. And I think that I knew that it was, you know, a, a wish of my father that, you know, at least one of his kids would go into the business. Um, but you know, I—I I, neither did I feel really pressured to get into it. My my road to this business really was, um, or my, you know, the way I how I knew I wanted to get into the business was um, really when I was in in college, and university, I took a semester off in, in Oxford, and I and afterwards backpacked around Europe like so many other uh, kids did, and I stopped in. Um, in Italy because I wanted to go to the quarries because one of my earliest memories was going to these marble quarries when I was five years old for the first time. So I decided that I wanted to go there and I ended up in Carrara, which is where the quarries are, where we had an office um, and uh, expected to spend a couple of days there. It's on the beach. It's in a beautiful area, um, you know, the mountains in the background, the beach in in the foreground, and the Mediterranean, you know, so thought I'd spend a week in Italy and a couple of days in Carrara. I ended up spending three weeks in Italy and a week in Carrara and I kind of fell in love with it and said, you know, when I'm done with school, I'm going to I'm going to live here and I'm going to mm-hmm. learn Italian so I spoke Spanish at the time pretty well. And, you know, but I want to learn Italian. How many languages
1: do you currently speak? I mean, my, you know, English and
0: Italian are my best languages. I get by and a, few, and a couple of others, um, Portuguese, and Spanish, and things like that. But my, 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 my fluent languages, I guess, are, are Italian and English. Um, so, so I decided when I graduated college, I was gonna live in Italy and work in Italy. And I looked around for jobs, but I didn't speak Italian at the time. I didn't have any papers to work there. So my my ticket to living in Italy turned out to be working, you know, in you know, cutting stone. In stone. And working <laughs> in a marble factory. And it was great because that was an area of Italy, you know, where they speak sort of very mostly pure Italian, not, not a dialect, although they do have a dialect. Um, and uh, it was a beautiful area. And in those days, you know, no internet in Italy. There were three channels. They were all in Italian on TV. You know, if you went, if you went there and you lived there, you had to speak. You know, yeah. it's like getting tossed into the, into the fire. You had no and, choice. And, yeah, you had yeah. no choice. So you learn really quickly. Sure. Um, so I worked in a couple of factories while I was uh, while I was there. I was there for a year and you know, learn the language and learn the business. And by the time I was done with that year. I decided, Okay, this is what I want to do, came back to
1: the States. So when you first got into this industry, it wasn't with your parents. Well,
0: you know, no. So it was I was working for a couple of suppliers and people that that my my that my father knew through the company. And then when I came back here, my father had a partner here in Los Angeles, and I flew out here and and lived here for uh, uh, half a year and learned some of the technical aspects of the business. Um, from somebody who worked for, his, for, for the company for his partner. Um, at that time, there were two separate companies, and his partner ran the company out here. Um, ultimately, we, we we sort of consolidated everything into one. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I worked out there, and then I came back to New York, and I decided that I wanted to start up uh, a new division, and in fact, ultimately started another company with some friends or well, guys guys who I met in New York who became friends. Um, and that company uh, d- developed that company um, and then ultimately merged, merged everything together. together I, yeah. I bought them out. Uh, they remain mm-hmm. friends to this day, these partners,
1: uh, and sort of merged all the businesses into one. So, talk to me about the relationship you had with your father when you were working with him, because I find that to be very intriguing.
0: It's It was intriguing. And I, I think I talked to a lot of people about that because those relationships can be. Tough. Difficult. Yes. And, you know, uh, went through some, been through some tough batches. But in our case, it was very, it was a really good relationship. And I think um, it's because he sort of let me do, you know, kind of let me pick out an area that I wanted to concentrate on and devote myself to that with as little interference as possible. Mm. Um, And I've had friends and acquaintances. That I know that have been sort of, you know, micromanaged by. There are a lot of family businesses in this industry, and have worked under, you know, a a family member, and it's been really difficult. Hundred percent. In our case, it was much easier. And in years after after I started, uh, we were chatting one day, and I said, um, said, you know. There was a particular instance I don't re- recall to this day what it was, but I said, "You know, you must have seen that I was screwing this up. You know, he <laughs> I mean, you know, must have you must have seen these this mistake and that mistake. And you know, why didn't you? You know, how did you keep yourself from stepping in?" And he said, "Listen, you know, I let you make mistakes because that's how you learn." And if I saw that you weren't learning from your mistakes, I would have stepped in <laughs> ah, <laughs> because okay. I wasn't going to let it go on forever. Sure, but as long as I saw that you, you know, that that you learned, you learned that, adjusted. You fixed. don't forget that kind of lesson. Yeah, you know, it's important to let people make mistakes because otherwise they'll never learn. Um, or it's one way they, you know, it's the best way to learn. It's that's a very important, important. That was, lesson. That I was think. a great lesson, uh, and you know, to this day, I mean, I, I practice that with my own employees. You, you know, you got to make choices. Hopefully, you've made them with some, you know, with with reflection and the proper thought, you know they're not always going to be right. You know, best. You know, the best major league hitter only you know only gets a hit thirty five percent of the time, right, or forty percent of the time. The other yeah. sixty percent, he misses. Yeah. You know, and you know if if you can have a you know a decent batting average, um, and mitigate your your mistakes and and you know build on your successes, that's great. What matters
1: is the macro level.
0: Yeah, ultimately that ultimately, that matters, and yeah. also learning. You know, sure, yeah. Experience. There's no, in this business and in many other businesses, there's there's little, um, uh, you know, there's there's little better than experience to make,
1: you know, to to uh,
0: to really to really uh, excel.
1: Hmm. So, as somebody who operates a business of this size, from a leader standpoint, what are like top qualities? somebody in your position needs to have to be able to operate at a high efficiency?
0: Well, you know, the, the, the best quality, you know, I'd say, and I've, I've, you know, plenty of qualities that I lack and I've like lacked this sometimes. But the best quality is to, you know, um, assess those qualities that you don't have, to look where, you know, to look where you need, to see where you need assistance and help, to find the right people to surround yourself with and give them, and I think give them the latitude mm-hmm. To do their best job, so you know part of it is learning when to keep your hands off and when to put your hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like, like any other business, you know, surround yourself with people who want the best for the business, who are passionate about the the business, who are um, who who have the you know who work well within the culture, who <laughs> you know have uh, you know who align with your goals. Um, And if you if you can do that, you know, then hopefully you'll be successful. Obviously, hard work is, you know, there's no nothing beats hard work. There is no substitute for hard work in our Uh business. Um, And it's a tough business right now. There's there's so many changes going on that, like any other industry, our industry is going through profound changes. Um, And they are, in some cases, existential. Um, And, you know, we're trying to navigate through those right now. Sure. So. um, you know so it's it's I think the best you know the certainly the best um, the best advice is to listen to a lot of you know to a lot of voices and and then you know ultimately pick out the pick out the one that sounds best it's beautiful
1: so speaking of changes mm-hmm. yeah, let's talk about social media for a little bit so how is that impacting your industry and what are you guys doing to I see I, see, I mean I'll give you guys props you guys are very modern with your approach you know, from our perspective, seeing different companies who are just too—I uh, guess you can say—stubborn to understand the change and the way things are moving, and I can, i can understand that. You know, for as many years as you've been working in industry, you're like this is working for me. Now all of a sudden, I have to change everything. Right. So when it hit you, when it—when did you first realize that? Okay, I really need to do something about this. And what is it that you guys are doing?
0: Well, we've realized it for a long time, but we've stumbled and we haven't done, you know, I think that's a place where we, 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 we weren't, you know, we, we're, we're considered in many respects to be an industry leader. Um, and certainly in our product development, you know, so we're always sort of a step ahead in introducing new things. In social media, I would say that hasn't always been the case. We had a sort of a breakout website a long time ago. Um, But, you know, and we we recognize the importance of it, but we didn't recognize a lot of the, you know, a lot of the power and the potential for it um, early on. And we have some legacy uh, aspects of the of the um, of the nature of our business that in some cases precluded us from maximizing the potential of social media. Um, you know, distribution network. We decided not to sell directly on the internet, and there's you know all kinds of reasons that you can say sure. we're not ready for this. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think we we finally uh, decided um, some time ago that we have to. Uh, and we're we're in the midst right now, and it's been a year. We're we're about to launch our new website uh, any any week now, um, and that will be a departure from our current one and but still not where we wanted to be because there's gonna be some further build out along the way. Um, but we, I, think, I think we realized um, uh, rather recently that we needed to step it up in terms of social media and we hired a new uh, director uh, for uh, PR and, and, and marketing mm-hmm. who's been charged with doing that. Um, so I wouldn't call us by any means the leader in our industry we're fortunate that our industry is kind of
1: bad. You know, dinosaur. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a very traditional especially yeah. the stone portion of it being in the tile. And it and and therefore we were kind of, you know, we didn't have to rush. Yes. Um, we, had, we had some time. We hmm. we fell behind, I, I'd say, you know, I, I really if I if I if I look, you know, critically at it, we we should be a lot further along in, you know, in terms of social media and work with influencers and things like that than we are today. But, you know, we have the advantage that there's a lot of companies that are way behind us. Yeah, not definitely.
1: So, so what's how do you see social media helping you guys out?
0: Um, I, you know, certainly there's, um, you know, there's some great advantages to social media uh, these days. You know, you can get the word out easily. Faster. Fast, much faster, much like less expensively. It's, yeah, it's not a day when you'd spend twenty thousand dollars on an advertisement in a, in a, in a magazine, or uh, you know, you know or, you know, or more than that, a TV commercial or campaign, and hope that it worked. You you know, the, the data is is impressive. It's solid. Yes. solid. You know, if something's working very quickly, and if it's not working very quickly, it's a you know, it's a great way to get um, ideas out there. For a company like ours, it's also you know, we, we have to be. You know, on our toes because while you know social media you know levels the playing field in many ways. And smaller companies than us can have a much you know kind of a huge impact on social yeah, media. Whereas bigger companies you know yeah. move you know often at a, at a slower pace. And so it's a it's not only you know a a you know an opportunity, but it's also a danger. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll lose ground. So we have to be um, conscious of it and work hard at it. But I think, and it, but but you know, if we do it right, there's some great opportunities there to reach people that we might not normally reach, Um, and to get feedback that used to take a lot of community insights, a lot more time. You know, that's why we started. You know, in many ways, we went from a wholesale company to a retail company, and we have retail showrooms um, around the country to get that kind of real-time feedback from people walking into a showroom rather than going to a dealer. Now. You know, Just do it online. people don't go to the showroom so much anymore and that those have become sort of, you know, we, we have to figure out how to change showrooms to a different model. You know, it used to be that we'd have every piece and every part in the showroom because everybody wanted to see all those pieces. Now they see them all online before they ever walk into the showroom. Now the showrooms have to be a little more about, you know, how do these things look all put together? You know, how often can you change them up? What's new? Um, what's exciting? You know, how, you know, all about. Um, how can you help me design my space? Um, how can you, you know, what can you, what, what, what can you offer me that I can't find online? You know, by
1: being face to face
0: with a salesperson or a designer. So
1: the or, experience, in a sense, it's yeah. the experience. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's becoming like retail is becoming this. Uh, yeah, it has to be like a theme park. Well, you know, <laughs> you know I just read an
0: interesting article about yeah. two companies. Um, it's a really very interesting article about you know experiential retailing and that you know two companies who failed at it and you know at the end of the day you, you still have to make a sale yeah and you know people you know there's there's all you know it's fraught it's fraught with danger too you don't want to be a theme park where people come in and you know enjoy the experience but purchase but don't elsewhere. buy anything but don't yeah, buy anything yeah. because that pays the bills and I think down the road looking down the road you know personally I think there's a you know, it's it's unfortunate because a lot of retail is going to change and there's going to be a lot of pay to play in the future that, you know, retailers can't afford to give the kind of service that they used to give um, and mm-hmm. the things that we're doing for free these days, um, I think probably 10 or 15 years from now, or maybe even sooner, people are going to be paying fees to, to get that kind of service. Such as what? Well, you know, so you'll come in here, and and we have uh, salespeople who will design a room for you, Hmm. and they won't charge you for that. You know, they'll assume that you're going to buy the tile from us when they do it. They'll put everything together for you. Um, That is an expensive, you know, process for you guys as a company. Yes, Many, many visits, there are changes, and there's nothing to stop somebody from coming in and taking those, you know, those designs and walking down the street or going online and and finding something for a couple of you know dollars cheaper. Um, And it happens. You know it, it does happen we we hope that that you know that people respect that um, that we're performing a service for them but I think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of, um, of uh, places where they can't afford to do that mm-hmm. and, you know you're gonna end up um, you're gonna end up paying for it so I think the retail industry is really gonna change in that respect
1: See, that's where I think social media comes in mm-hmm. gives you that edge and that advantage to kind of show off the things that you guys do special. Yeah. completely different than everybody else to attract certain people that don't even know things like that exist right you know so like it's 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 all about I mean that's personally why we even do this because like this is where the digital age is moving yeah like I know for a fact in 10, 20, 30 years someone's gonna look back at this interview and say huh that's how the whole thing started what an interesting sure journey it's been right. you know documentation is like super key yep. so you know talking about the very interesting story that you have by the way I uh, love how like, you know, a family business, it's come, it's 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 strapped down to where it is today and it's it's succeeded. Mm-hmm. So wh- what do you think, what is it that differentiates you, your family from other companies or businesses that, you know, have pretty much stayed small? Because like, I know a lot of family businesses, like it's tough, as we said, it's very tough to grow, especially with like the relationships, the morals, the values, to keep that all intact. Is so there certain things that you guys still do internally as a culture to kind of make sure that, you know, th- everybody's on the same page. Communication is clear, everyone's efficient with their job.
0: Um, sure. We're I mean, we're constantly trying to do those things, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, it, it, part of it is is the hiring mm-hmm. and retention process. Now, you know, and we we talk about these things all the time. We've got today somebody just today, somebody in our Houston branch is celebrating their 25th year here. We've got—I I, I don't recall the number—but we've got, you know, over 15 people that are um, 30-year veterans. Wow! So we've got a lot of now. Sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's a bad thing, right? <laughs> you can get—you can get stayed. You can—you can—you know—get stale. And you've got to bring in new blood and bring in people who are going to look at things in a in a different way. But we do have this long culture. Mike Bastone, uh, who is our um, VP and uh, on the board of directors. he's second generation. His son is now working here. So we've got oh, three generations amazing. in one family yeah, um, yeah. Uh, working uh, for the company. That helps tremendously. You can't. Yeah. You know, you certainly can't replace that. So that's where, you know, where the culture you know shows through. Um, at the same time, the the downside of that is is changing things when they need to be changed, and they do need to be changed all the time. You know, sometimes can be. You know a little more difficult because everybody remembers this is how we've always done it mm-hmm. you know this is you know we, we, we you know all all of a sudden like this and new thing. then when you got to do something differently and yeah. you know, everybody's kind of like why do we have to do that just like yeah. you said before yeah, yeah. Um, and you know and how does that you know how does that affect the, the culture you don't want to lose the good parts of the culture but you don't want to you know keep the bad parts or keep the parts that are no longer effective so it's just a question of, of you know of pushing and 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 determining, trying to figure out what those you know, error, what you have right? to jettison and what you have to keep, and 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 working at that.
1: Is there ever a time where, like, and this is purely just a question for my out of curiosity, where you know a process is perfected, or is it always just trial and error, trial and error, and see what works and what doesn't, and just continue to evolve? Well, it? that's. I mean,
0: there's no. You don't know if it's perfect until you try it. And, mm-hmm. You know. I mean, I don't think. I, I think. You know, we we develop a lot of product here. So we no. design our own product, we have it made for us. That's the perfect example because that's, you know, a single thing. And of course, you know, and and I can't, you know, it's very rare that we get it right the first time. Right? You 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 put something together, you go to a manufacturer, or we have our own factory uh, for ceramic tile in Mexico and we make our we make our own stuff. You know, you you do it, it comes out, you look at it, you're kinda like, it's not just right. Let's mm-hmm. go back, let's go back to the drawing board or you know, we need to tweak this or turn that or change this. It's the same thing with, you know, it's the same thing with with um, processes, sure. and the same thing with um, with marketing or anything else. You know, it's rare that you get it right on the first time. Sometimes it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you hit a home run right out of the box, but uh, you know, and that's great. But I don't know how to replicate that. If I did, you yeah, know, I, we'd be a lot bigger. Than <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I don't, see, I don't think you think that's
1: kind of remotely possible it? because it's, we're human. Yeah. I'm human, yeah. we're created to learn and evolve. And it's as you said, the importance is that you learn from your mistake and you move
0: on. Yeah, and you know what you like. You don't necessarily know what the market likes. We're, you know, when you get to a certain size, um, you know, you can be a tile company that does one thing and does it really well. And, you know, or a stone company that does one thing. You know, you have a quarry, you have your stone you know, people react to it, people like it, it's great, people don't like it, it's great, and you can stay small, and there are many days, I gotta tell you that I wish, you know, we were back to, you know, the size we were when I first started. Small business. <laughs> yeah, because it's less headaches. It's and, quick, you know, easy. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's easier. Um, so you, you can do that. In, at, at the size that we've become to, we have to appeal not only to the client that likes what we like, we have to appeal to a, you know a number of clients what, what's important to us is not you know i can say that i like contemporary architecture for instance and that's my personal taste um that's not to say that i don't appreciate beautiful classic architecture but i tend to like things that are more more contemporary um but around here you see a lot of things that are not contemporary um so if you have a you know a, um, a building or a home that's classical or that's mediterranean or that's you know, uh, colonial. We have things that go with that. We want to make the best thing for
1: that. Yeah, a fit. for that aesthetic. Anyway, things, yeah.
0: You know, we want to make something really nice for that. May not be what we, you know, like, what, or, what what I like or what my designer likes or what you know, but we want to appeal to that. So um, it's it's not about you know, um, at our level, it's 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 about the process and the desire to give the client, you know, what they're looking for and then improve on that. You know, give them something, you know, extra. You know, I'm looking for your subway tile. Well there's a million subway tiles, you know, this little, you know, rectangular tile. How, you, know, you know, I go to a home depot and buy a subway tile for a dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, how come yours costs you know, $20 or $9 or $8 or, you know, $15. Well, this one is handmade and it has this and then and the other. And there's some variation and, you know, just a detail, you Very know, nice. at one dial maybe you're not going to see it. But when you see it in your, in your, you know, it's it's a beautiful piece. It's like, well, I can, I can buy a T-shirt that's, you know, it's $15 and it's still it you know, covers up. <laughs> right. Or I can buy one that's, you know, $150 and, you know, one maybe cashmere or silk or something yeah. like that. And it's different than the one that's cotton. Um, and that's not to say that we don't sell a little cotton here too we do but we also sell a lot of cash beer. sure it, it's an art <laughs> it's yeah. art and it's own. it is right. art yeah you know that's what we want it to be it's beautiful yeah, and it's when cool. that happens it's a great thing
1: yeah well we're gonna wrap this up what's one piece of advice for everybody that's listening on a quality that a leader i know we kind of touched on this but i kind of want to you know have like re- revisit this on one out of every single quality that a leader should have, what's one that you would really double down on?
0: Um, I double down on on mentoring and developing other people, because you know that's what leadership is all about. You can be a great business person without doing that. You can be an artist and just work alone in the studio and be the most successful guy in the world. But you know, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, you know, they had studios. They didn't do you know. Mm-hmm. He didn't paint that whole Sistine Chapel, you know, on his own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Michelangelo hit some hit he some help, and if you, and if you, um, if you find willing and talented people, and you can mentor them to be better than you are, you know, that's great. Then Doesn't you can, let them do their and thing. you can sit on the beach and relax. <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet, but that's that's a goal. Almost there. Well, hey, John, thank <laughs> you so much for being on the show. Yeah,
1: okay. I really appreciate it.